is the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. Our mission is to train those who give spiritual counsel to others. Whatever your skill level, we offer accessible and practical advice to those whose life or work frequently leads them to spiritual conversations. Our goal is to foster a growing relational connection with and loyalty to the God of the Bible. We help people choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights on the dashboard of their lives. Our passion comes from the belief that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Uh, And this episode is about why does God allow suffering? Big question. Um, So there is some context for those of you that are listening, in case you are listening uh, months or, or years after this is recorded and beyond the uh, the current crisis that has warranted a little discussion about such topics. Um, I am sitting here in early 2020, uh, quarantined for the second week of the coronavirus, and um, along with the rest of the world, almost, that's in one uh, phase or another of some level of social distancing, which we've been doing for a couple weeks, and now... Yeah, there's probably another three weeks of our, our of our effort left to flatten the curve. And in the midst of uh, a current global health crisis like this, or whatever crisis you may be facing, uh, whenever and wherever you are at the moment, many questions we may not normally ask are 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 are, are ones we begin to ask in a time of uh, fear and, and and crisis and. Um, whatever the stress is that is going on, some sort of trauma. One of those questions uh, that the some in the church are asking and tend to ask, uh, a question that surfaces from time to time with people that aren't Christians, um, th- that is really, um, I've, been, I've, been, I've been seeing a lot of conversation about, is why does God allow suffering? Uh, the common answer the Church of Jesus Christ gives is, you know, sin and the curse. Uh, but because uh, many are accustomed to hearing that response, it seems very, you know, cold and, and insensitive just on the, the face of it. And because I believe it's it's, it's short of, it, I don't know, it's incomplete. I want to direct your thinking in a, in, in a few minutes in a, in a different direction to answer that question. Um, and, of course, uh, just quickly... When I do say sin and the curse, let's just explain that very quickly. I'm referencing the first or original sin and, and, and God's curse that followed it. You can read Genesis 3 for that information. To summarize that answer to our question, um, God gave us the indescribable and inexplicable gift of free will. One of the characteristics of being made in his image. No other creature was given this precious gift. Well then, with that gift, humanity made our choice with our free will, and we picked the false pleasures of sin over God's command. This allowed sin to enter the world, and the combination of those two things, the gift of free will and the choice to disobey God with it, it provides one answer for the suffering we see around us. Uh, God did not and does not directly allow suffering. He allowed free will. Abinese free choice to sin is what directly allows suffering. And do not even try to claim that this is unfair because you're not Adam and Eve. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal. Romans 3.23 tells us that. As for this gift, uh, without free will, there is no humanity. 
we would be left as some sort of embodied automaton. Thankfully, we were instead designed as embodied souls, and souls had the freedom to choose good over evil. That initial choice and our continued choices to avoid God, if not blaspheme against Him in all the ways we nudge Him out of our lives, bring certain and unpleasant ramifications to bear on the world. And so we are going to put that whole thing aside and set the stage for uh, this redirect that I proposed by way of this short disclaimer. I do not know that there is a satisfactory answer to the question at hand. Even if there was an explanation that made logical sense, even if uh, through reason and intellect we concluded that suffering is just, and, and even if we determined uh, that it is reasonable outcome given the variables that we do accept and understand, and in the end somehow decided that suffering is and should be a foregone conclusion, even then it would still be unacceptable to us as caring human beings. These things will not and should not cause us to conclude that we should coldly accept suffering. We would have to become loveless and without the slightest hint of compassion or sympathy to blindly feel nothing when suffering is encountered. To be human is to cringe at the sight of another's suffering. To lose that wincing recoil and abhorrent distaste is to lose our humanity. The presence of suffering is always going to be a difficult thing to bear with as long as we remain human. And so it should be. I say that we must go through life hating the reality of suffering, no matter how satisfactory or not the explanations are. But I also think that we can go on hating suffering um we can go on hating suffering and give up the skeptical, hesitant disbelief, um, disbelieving need to ask why it exists. So we can both hate it, but stop asking the question why. And I'm going to explain, like I said, by redirecting our question. So I personally do not ask, why does God allow suffering, without feeling an urge to ask a second question. <laughs> Uh, that subsequent inquiry for me, uh, theologically at least, it delegitimizes, if not eliminates, the need for the first question. What question has that kind of a nulling authority, you ask? Well, simply this. Why does God allow forgiveness? The first question can be answered, even though we may not like the answer. And the second question can also be answered. But to respond to the second, we have to go back and look behind the first inquiry at another nagging and deeper question that is hiding there. Skis, see, see, scantily concealed behind the why does God allow suffering question is the resigned or heretical assumption that God does not love us. God does not care one little bit about the plight of humanity, hence the suffering. The conclusion that question leads to when it's left to just hang there without a thoughtful response is that God is a cosmic sadist, a cruel, hateful, vengeful, foul, despicable, murderous, unconscionable being. That could be no, no other conclusion, right? I dare say that some want that to be the conclusion, even though it annihilates any chance of hope. That assumption that God does not love us, well, that leaves us free to go on without feeling forced to answer the, is there a God question. This is because even if there is a God, he's a terrible and harsh being, and no one should love him or obey him anyway. If you want that to be your conclusion, you keep asking, why does God allow suffering? Without really thinking through the answer, at least not from a Christian worldview. Well, but then, if you have a Christian world where you do not want that to be the answer, you do not want that to be the only one there is. And so we flip back to my second question. 
I think that to respond to our first question, why does God allow suffering, or more specifically to the hidden implication that there is no God or at least not a loving one, we must first answer the second question. Why does God allow forgiveness? Why did God provide for our salvation? Why did God execute a plan to deliver us from damning consequences of our own free will and sin? Why did God, the Father, send and sacrifice His only Son to take our place and pay for our sins so we could be forgiven and reunited with Him? The question could be easily extracted from a short and succinct description of our rescue that we find immediately following the truth that we have all sinned that I mentioned earlier. Romans 3.23 and following, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Why in the world did God do that? I think this is the better question. That's one that's, that's more straightforward. The answer is more straightforward. And the answer we give to this question will be predictive of the answer we will give to the first question, why does God allow suffering? You know, the Bible does not hide the answer behind veiled implications or implied truth in puzzling fashion for us to decipher. Oh no, God is readily forthcoming with the answer we seek to why does God allow forgiveness? For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You know, those people that, those of you that have been around the church for a while, you've heard those verses so often, uh, that I want to read them again, but this time in a version that stretches out the meaning of key words and gives it a little more depth, a little more clarity, puts a little more meat on the bones. So I'm going to read John 3, 16 through 17 from the Amplified Version for you. For God so greatly loved and deeply prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son, so that whomever believes in or trusts in or clings to or relies on him shall not perish, shall not come to destruction, shall not be lost, but have eternal everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world in order to judge or to reject or condemn or to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. Indulge me long enough for just one more statement from God on this subject. Romans 5, 6 and following. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though you know some, perhaps, would be willing to die for a person who is really, really good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were not good at all. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. If he saved us because he loves us, which seems like the only possible, let alone logical answer, that has to be held as precious to us when we ask the question about suffering. 
why does God allow suffering, which is often, is there a loving God at all, becomes why does God allow forgiveness, to which we answer, because he loves us. Clearly, love was a driving emotion behind our rescue. Not judgment, not condemnation, not rejection, and not sadistic abuse. He clearly and dearly prizes his creation. Even when we were helpless, and even when we were still ignoring and offending him, he stood up and took the bullet for us. And that is proof of his great love for us. He made us right with himself again, made us his friends, through what his son, the historical Jesus of Nazareth, did for us. And if he would do that through his death, just imagine how much more his life does for us through a restored relationship with God. That life comes to us in such plentiful supply that it overflows our life with more good than we can contain. Now, stay with me because this is where this gets really good. Once we know and accept that God does love us, we come back to the suffering of humanity with a different supposition. God loves us. And if that is so, he must have some way to counteract the suffering that he has allowed humanity to bring upon itself through the sinful neglect of God. And indeed he does. God will heal every cruel and miserable and grievous and torturous wound the human heart has ever known. And that is whether it is perpetuated against us or if we bring it upon ourselves. No one need live with a maimed heart that diminishes their emotional bandwidth or that restricts their ability to give and receive love or, or that manhandles their feelings and reactions and causes them to hurt others or, or that frustrates and reduces what they have to give to the world and those around them. Why? Because God loves us. And don't think for a moment that healing is all there is. As if that were nothing at all. Beyond healing, only He has the sovereign power and authority over all things to be able to work what others have meant for evil and turn it around for our good. I do not like suffering, but I sure like taking my enemy's attack and throwing it back in his face in a way that gives me the win and him the loss. Since God loves us, every sorrow we endure will both now and eventually and inevitably become our blessing as, as it is transformed in the present into something through which uh, brings us good and in the future when we finally get to see justice prevail and everything made right. Oh, my friends, come with me into the glorious realm of a loving God and King. Now, if God saved us for some reason other than love, I mean, I can't think of one, but that will indeed taint the suffering question. We will indeed ask over and over if there is a God or why does God allow suffering? Because, um, you know, it will have for us that foregone attached conclusion that he is evil and does not even exist at all. But I, for one, do not want to live in a world where that is true. This is one reason, and only one, mind you, why I believe in a God of the Bible. It's self-preservation. <laughs> I would not get out of bed in the morning if this were a world without a loving God. Or, or a world with a God like the Greek gods who made life particularly difficult for mere mortals out of their own selfishness and vice. If there's no God at all, why are we even asking, why does God allow suffering? Maybe to disprove the belief in God, as if suffering were some kind of irrefutable evidence that there is no God? That doesn't stand up against the least rigorous thinking. It may be believable, if not for the gospel, if there was suffering without any consolation. But between the fact that suffering is a result of our choice to ignore God, and that Despite our rejection of him, he went ahead and rescued us anyway while we still fought against him as his enemies. 
I, I think we can indeed cancel the why does God allow suffering question and any other doubt that hides very badly behind it. I think we have more than sufficient cause to take to heart the fact that through our forgiveness, God single-handedly made a way for us to be, ba- to be brought back to Him because He loves us. Every time we have to face unbearable and unthinkable suffering, we must remember the consolation of the gospel. Now let's pause for a minute and just say again that when all of this started several weeks back, there was so much advice and so many lectures via video and podcasts that come across the social media feed that I, I decided to just stay quiet until all that noise settled down a little bit. Uh, I thought it would be good if, it, if everybody had a time some time to process and, and, and I was processing right along with everybody else. And, you know, I thought that jumping right into the dialogue before thinking deeply about all this and, you know, before taking the time and making the effort to have my own thoughts and not lazily take the thoughts of others as my own. Uh, I just thought that that would really add nothing of benefit for me or to you. But now that since we have a little extra time on our hands and the quarantine has been extended or whatever the, 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 the crisis is that you're living through as it is continuing on, I thought that some might benefit from just continuing to think through this crazy situation. And, and, and so I hope that some of my encouragements will be new to the conversation, benefit you in, in some way, wherever you are and whenever you are in life. Um, and since in this current situation, we all have a little bit of, or most of us have a little bit of extra time on our hands, I, I didn't keep this too short, so it's going to run about 30 minutes in total. And if you would like to check out the written script of this, you can go to our blog site where it will be posted at tworivers.church slash brave the rapids. That's T-W-O rivers.church slash brave the rapids, all one word. At that blog site, you can find not just the transcript, but you will also find there um, the references that I used Uh, and some other ones that I didn't refer to. All right, let's quickly get right back into this so we can wrap up. Every time we have to face unbearable and unthinkable suffering, we must remember the consolation of the gospel. You know, I know there are many questions that this whole train of thought could divert us to, so let me take you back to my initial inquiry. Why does God uh, allow forgiveness? That actually might technically be my second inquiry because we started with, why does God allow suffering? What does God forgive us from? Well, our rebellion against him from sin. And sin is not immorality. It's leaving God out. Sin is living life without giving him a thought. Sin is living like we are God and free to make our own decisions apart from him and his authority and leadership or guidance. Why did God make ignoring him a sin that's punishable by death? To deter us from sin? Why did God so desperately want to dissuade us from sin? From ignoring Him? Well, because He designed us to need Him. He designed us with a God-shaped void that could only be filled by God Himself. If He gave us no deterrent to sin, we would all live life apart from Him, not knowing any better, and we'd be miserable, incomplete, unfulfilled, and empty. God did not tell us how to live so He could have cause to gleefully zot us from on high. He lovingly taught us how to live so we could live. Sin causes suffering. Suffering is a reminder that we are prone to forget Him. 
it should encourage us to turn our heart back to him because like it or not, suffering is humanity's fault. Not to mention that without suffering, there would be no way we could grasp and, and fear an eternal destiny in hell, a quite unexpected service that the ugliness of suffering offers us. Uh, you may be thinking that all suffering can't be caused by sin. Well, some suffering is caused by sin in the global or the ubiquitous sense that there is sin in the world. Uh, and then um, and that's why in heaven, when sin is done away with, there'll be no suffering. The two go together. And then, of course, uh, some suffering is caused by specific acts of injustice, abuse, and selfishness, and the neglect of God. And let me just clarify really quickly here, none of this, not the fact of systemic presence of sin or any other explanation, makes it easy for me to grapple with the suffering of a newborn baby who has never had a chance to leave God out. Nor does it make it any easier to understand the suffering and persecution and abuse of innocent people simply because of their race or the color of their skin or the rank or status that they were born into. However, knowing God is just and loving does cause me to be immeasurably thankful for redemption that immediately writes everything that is of eternal weight, heals every wound in the present, every heart wound in the present, and will one day put all things right. So when we see suffering... When I see suffering, I have two almost simultaneous and congruent responses. First, I recoil and I feel the pain of suffering. Then in the midst of that sick feeling in my gut, I look up. The upward gaze leads me, leads me to a second response. I bow low before God uh, who gave me two choices. The God who gave me a free will to make two decisions. One, the choice of reverence or rejection. I can choose either to love him or hate him. I can either follow or rebel, obey or disobey. And then the second choice, <laughs> the wonderful treasured second choice, when I realize how rebellious I have been in the face of such great love, how thankless I've been in the face of such great sacrifice, he waits for me to secondly accept his sacrificial forgiveness, be made new, become his child, and receive the hope of a heaven where all suffering is finally dead and I am finally fully alive. We must not stop feeling compassion for those who suffer. And we must stop asking the why question by answering the because question. God allows suffering because he has allowed us our free will. But he has also activated his own will to save us from every wrong and injustice, no matter who perpetuated it, who perpetrated it, or how unimaginably horrendous it is. Justice will come, if not now, later. Thankfully, when justice rains down upon the earth, the just condemnation that I deserve will have already been paid for, satisfied by the death of my Savior, ratified by his resurrection, and sealed with a resurrection of my own that he has shared with me in body and soul. Why? Because he loves me. He replaces the why does God allow suffering that was behind, that what has behind it judgment against God with the because answer. Because he loves us. That is right. Suffering can exist along with a loving God because he is a loving God. Because his love caused him to counteract suffering with loving salvation for all humankind. In the midst of a worldwide pandemic or whatever it is you may be facing, whatever crisis you're up against, whatever trauma that you, you are trying to, to not think about, I invite you to think about the questions you're asking. I mean, really think. If why does God allow suffering as one of them, 
Each time it comes up, ask instead, why did God forgive me? Sit with the answer, because he loves me. If he loves you, he will work all things together for your good, for the purpose for which he has called you, for all those who love him. Nothing can stop his plan for your life, not even the worst of stuff, suffering. And in a cosmic turn of events, he takes the evil you knew, and with that rubble, he will build for you a new life. There is something else that will not be stopped. It is the definitive answer to why does God allow suffering? Because he loves us. His love cannot be stopped. Romans 8 makes that clear. What shall we say about such wonderful things as all these? If God is for us, who can ever come against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then can condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Well, then can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or crisis or a worldwide pandemic or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, fears for today, or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's close by adding to that an ancient prophecy about Jesus and the effects that his love will, can have on our life. Isaiah 61, 1 and following says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to those who suffer. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those that mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against his enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been destroyed for many generations. <laughs> what a trade-off. That day is here. That day that those verses spoke about is now. God is ready to make that swap for you. He will take from you brokenheartedness and captivity and mourning and the ashes that are, that are all that is left from the suffering. And in his place, he will bless you with good news, comfort, release, freedom, his favor, beauty, joy, praise, and his righteousness in place of our unrighteousness. The, the effect will be like that of a great and mighty oak tree, solid, enduring, flourishing. In place of ancient ruins long destroyed, he will repair and rebuild and revive even them, uh, though they were once deserted. In him there is nothing that can touch us that will in the end be harmful or eternally destructive. 
<laughs> Maybe the best reason to ask, why does God allow suffering? Is so that it will lead us to ask, why does God forgive us? Which leads us to the conclusion, because He loves us. And because He loves us, every precious promise He has made to us will be fulfilled. So we conclude with this. With all this going for us, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So what is that work that we're to be about? Whether the world is sick with a, with a new coronavirus or whatever the current stress or, or pressure is, well, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, because He loved them. <laughs> and He gives us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Take care of your own heart. Get it settled down on God. Accepting of the of and, and, and peaceful in his providence and promises and provision. Internalize his love and what it means to you. Be sure that the script that you hear in, in your head and heart is true to Him. And once you have some degree of contentment and safety in Him, get busy reconciling the world to Him. Don't worry that your effort will ever be uh, wasted or, or, or a waste of time. When you do remember this, the question is not, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? The real question that you want to pose to those who ask the first question is, how could a loving God who gave us free will, not allow suffering, especially when he went to such great extremes to provide consolation at great cost to himself so that we can freely have healing in life in spite of our suffering. Again, if you cannot work through all this and whatever trouble seasoning, whatever uh, troubling season of life that you may be in, whatever the trauma, whatever the pressure, whatever the fear, whatever the worry, whatever the anxiety, I encourage you to get some help. If you do not know where to turn, you can always go to tworivers.church slash the center. And uh, uh, that is our webpage at the Two Rivers Counseling Center. Again, that's tworivers.church slash the center. If you click get counseling and fill out the form, it will shoot an email to me. I will know that you're, that you're asking for help and I will get in touch with you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, do not waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how God would have you work the new thought into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been. We firmly believe that God will exchange the wounding of the past for the wellness of the future. A transformation that frees us to be wholeheartedly available to Him and those near us. As we walk into that healing, we gain the humble confidence and godly credibility needed to step unrestricted into the life and impact God has for us. And when we experience that for ourselves, it gives us a compelling story from which to call others to experience the same. We pray that God uses the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. 
If you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of our podcast, here, as promised, is the contact information. The email address is carrie at tworivers.church or text at SC Dashboard from the social media platform of your choice. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. Thank you.